Welcome to episode two of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. It's great to welcome both you, Brandy, and you, Dustin, to the podcast, and I appreciate both of your time. They both have a wealth of experience in the world of data and analytics and have recently launched the Data Career Summit and the Data Ideas podcast. They can often be seen on LinkedIn sharing their insight, tips, top jobs within the analytics community, and it's great to have you both here today. Would you mind kicking off and giving us a brief intro to your backgrounds and what led you to launch both the Career Summit and the Data Ideas podcast? Thanks, Dustin. Um, yeah, so my name is Brandy Beals. I would say my you know, kind of introduction to analytics started all the way back in college. I double majored in art and economics um, because at the time data wasn't really like a major. And uh, over the course of my first few jobs, I realized how much I like working in Excel with numbers and kind of slowly started to pursue, um, I would say, a more technical career path. Um, so I kind of started as like a business analyst, moving into a data analyst, moving into um, now a, a manager of a data analytics team within an IT department. So definitely a more technical role. And, um, you know, I think for me, the, the genesis of the Data Career Summit actually went back to the beginning of this year, of 2022, where um, I was on a panel interview uh, talking with college students about data analytics careers. And um, I, I found that I kept getting the same questions, right? Like what jobs are out there? How do I prepare myself? And I knew Dustin had been working on something called the Data Jobs Report. Um, and Dustin and I know each other from the local Milwaukee uh, Tableau community. And, um, and so I reached out to Dustin being like, I feel like we, we could answer this question more, more broadly, you know? And so we teamed up to, to host the first data career summit in August of this year. And we got such great awesome. reception. We're doing it again. <laughs> That's uh, February. Is that right? February next year? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Very exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a great introduction. And thanks, Alex, again, for having us join you. Honored to be part of the second episode of this uh, new podcast. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. For, thank you for joining. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm Dustin Schimmick. I'm also in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin, USA area. Um, and uh, no Brandy for being active in the analytics community here. And um, I've worked for, yeah, over the last 10 years, um, a variety of different manufacturers in the area, uh, been an analyst at uh, each of those companies, and uh, have been fortunate enough to kind of have a progressive career in analytics here in the area uh, at those companies, eventually moved up to director of analytics at a company called Master Lock here in the Milwaukee area. Um, if you ever had a combination um, lock on your school, you know, locker in, in middle school or high school. You might have had a master yeah, lock logo on there, but um, lots of good uh, data analytics work that we did there. And I know the team there continues to do. Um, recently left that role to uh, focus on some thought leadership work in the field, launched some of the things that you mentioned, one of the things being this uh, data career summit, which we're super excited about and has been really well received, um, and do some other projects uh, related to analytics, both in this area um, and outside of it. So. I'm super excited to be here and uh, talk data careers. This is, uh, to Brandy's point, something that we get asked a lot about. Um, you know, I have, from both my time in the corporate world as well as uh, time outside of it, you know, I get asked, um, I mean, at this point now, probably 10 to 15 times per week, 
you know, questions from individuals or individuals that know other individuals that want to transition to data, you know, how to do it, what approach to take. Also getting a lot of questions from uh, business leaders looking to establish, you know, an analytics program um, or questions from individuals that are looking to move up um, in the analytics field, you know, and, and understand, you know, hey, how did you move from, you know, kind of an entry level role to a director level role in the corporate world? What did that path look like? So to Brandy's point, we really wanted to put together content for the Data Career Summit that addressed those questions at a greater scale. It's one thing for us to answer them individually on a one-off basis, but gosh, if we can put together some content and deliver it to a larger audience, you know, that I think is is going to make a bigger impact. And that's why we're doing this. Awesome. Awesome. And I knew, obviously, when we kind of when I reached out to you on LinkedIn, you know, I think I was drawn to first and foremost by the content. I suppose every, I think it's every Friday, you were quite proactive in terms of sharing like top right. jobs and top tips. And I think it all starts and ends with obviously demand, doesn't it? obviously hiring. So obviously our objective as a recruiter is to find great people and place them into great roles. And you as obviously, you know, someone who's kind of, um, you know, promoting, you know, this career and trying to kind of support people on that journey. It does start with kind of the demand of the clients. And obviously we've seen on the news over the last kind of few weeks, it's been pretty, pretty up and down. How would you kind of both describe the current state of hiring in the analytics market from a kind of hiring standpoint? You know, obviously, because it depends what, I suppose, medium you read, I guess. It depends, you know, how would you kind of describe it? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I think the, the the demand for analytics roles has stayed, um, you know, pretty constant over the course of this year, um, regardless of the headlines that are in the news, you know, these last few weeks and that, mm. you know, where it goes is, is anybody's guess. Um, but um, um, I'm still personally seeing a lot of new roles being posted. Um, I think if you take a look at the last five to 10 years, you know, from my perspective, having been a leader within a company that's hired for roles and has been on committees for hiring in that and um also combined with you know now being someone that hosts this career summit and i also compile data for um, something called the data jobs report that we report on in the summit um, it's basically a summary of all the skills and education requirements and things like that that positions are asking for when i look at all of that information what i what i really and i think about the last 10 years of my experience what i see is you know, up until about three years ago, there was kind of this baseline demand for analyst roles. And you kind of had these long established roles in companies, you know, you might have had a sales analyst or a marketing analyst or an operations analyst that, you know, kind of got this established baseline level of work that they had. And they kind of maintain that work and they kind of run the roles are in, intended to run the business. And, and what we started to see in the last three years was a massive investment in data analytics because it's seen and data science because it's mm -hmm. seen as a as a potential growth opportunity for the organization. It's a lever to pull on to get incremental growth, to get to gain market share, you know, in their particular industry, things like that. And so um, we've seen this large influx in the number of positions, entire teams being created, things like that. And along with that, now we've started to see the degree programs and training platforms catch up to offer education, formalized education around data analytics, because there's such a big increase in the number of roles that are out there. 
Um, you know, and this is fantastic. Um, you know, I think for like Brandy and mm -hmm. I that have been in the field for a long time, probably yourself as well, you know, we always knew that this potential exists and my gosh, it's amazing to see other people recognize that, um, that it is creating though, you get the pros and cons with that. And, and I think on the con side, you know, what we're seeing is, uh, definitely in the last year or two, um, even in the last six months, you're seeing on the company's side in position postings, um, you're seeing a proliferation in terms of the skills that are being asked for. And so, you know, you might have all, you might have asked five years ago for two or three hard skills. And I'm I'm speaking in general terms here, you know, and, and whereas now yeah. you might have a position posting for a data scientist or data analyst where you're asking for 25 skills in the position posting. And, <laughs> and I'm using the extreme ends to, to illustrate the point. But it's not totally unrealistic. I mean, I do see position postings that have, you know, dozens. It's, it's not that exactly, <laughs> right? I can assure you. And so that number of skills being asked for is increasing. Um, and so from a company's perspective, I think that um, one of two things is going on here. I think that, and maybe both, probably not a lot of thought is being put into what they really want out of that position and what the individual is going to be doing. And then yeah. I think the byproduct of all this is they're having, and this is, you hear this all the time, right? Companies are having a hard time finding good people or the right people, right? And then mm -hmm. on the individual side, you have some frustration because people are going out there, getting some of the skills, and then they're not making it through the filters of the job application process because they don't have the 25, maybe they've got five, right? And so <laughs> that is the dynamic that I'm seeing right now. Huge influx in roles, and then this misalignment in terms of the skill asks and the, you know, qualified applicants follow finding the good employers. I think, yeah, this is a really valid point. And obviously, and I've been on the receiving end of those kind of, we call them wish lists. And actually, our job here is to say, actually, what do you really need? Uh, well, I just need all of these ticked box, uh, ticks. And yeah, we'll, we'll move to an interview. And I think, well, actually, let's kind of manage your expectation here. And I suppose maybe a question to you, Brandy, as someone who's, currently kind of in that role hiring currently, you know, there is on Dustin's really valid point, there is such a wish list of very niche skills in the market. Mm -hmm. And those candidates are still the ones who typically are in control of their destiny in terms of next com uh, company they join. So what, what, how do those kind of current managers who are currently working in analytics, how do they stand out? Because, you know, we're talking about candidates having to kind of personal brand themselves and you know but what, what steps can those hiring managers maybe in those lesser known organizations those startups or what, what can they do to stand out in order to kind of stand the best chance of securing talent yeah it's a great question um because talent is really hard to come by right um mm. i so for me I'm, i can only really speak from my own perspective but i i think First of all, networking is kind of really huge, like showing that, I mean, it's one of the things that we actually called out in the previous uh, data, data Career Summit, but um, networking and getting your, your name out there, your company out there, showing that, um, you know, kind of what maybe tools you work with or the types of projects you're working on, um, some of those things are hard to convey in maybe an interview, but, um, mm. but kind of going to those networking locations. And you also, you hear about, you know, you hear people presenting um or you can you're able to kind of meet people in a more casual informal setting and get to know them a little bit um on a, at a different level before um maybe bringing them in-house or, or you know you can kind of build more of a personal relationship i guess 
Um, but then also I think that there are things like um, autonomy and, you know, hiring people, but then kind of, if you hire good people, um, you don't necessarily need to tell them what to do, right? You can rely on them to kind of lead your organization mm. um, in, in a direction. And, and I feel like that autonomy is something that's just really uh, powerful. Um, you know, of course, flexibility is always nice. Um, you know, certain, I know for me personally, um, it would be, there are certain tools that I really love to use. And, um, you know, that's something that I look for in, in, if I were, if I were ever to, you know, uh, be searching for a job, I would want to look at certain tools. Are you using the best of breed technologies? Hmm. It's interesting. And actually that's, uh, one of the first questions we get asked, especially when we're directly approaching people in that, as Dustin said, that kind of very kind of niche pool of talent. Uh, first question we get asked is typically what's the tech stack? You know, the, you know, salaries, look, the elite performers out there, they're always going to command compensation uh, well above what some organizations can pay. But I think if the tech stack, the opportunity to develop uh, is there, you know, the flexibility is obviously a given, then yeah, it's interesting. And do you think the impact of kind of COVID where everyone was remote, you know, the old, you know, the networking events, the meetups, the pizzas, the, the drinks afters have completely, because I'm guessing with you guys, you know, trying to drive that face-to-face contact is, is, is probably more important if they're going to stand a chance of engaging with the right level of talent, I guess. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective because I think with the right amount of intention and effort, you can develop relationships even in a virtual world. I mean, I look at like, mm. you know, the relationships that Dustin and I have been able to cultivate with people, you know, halfway around the world uh, that I've never met in person, but because we maybe consistently show up or like we're, you know, connected on LinkedIn and we actively engage with those people, um, it feels like, yeah, even, even if the networking isn't in person, um, you can definitely still make that happen. Um, and I think too, like, I mean, of course we're in this world where content creation is king. So, you know, if you're uh, maybe a small organization who's looking to hire really awesome talent, um, you, you kind of need to make it known the types of things that you're working on and the types of things that you're creating. And so I think sharing that on, on platforms such as LinkedIn, um, GitHub, whatever it might be, is really, um, really important. I think that the last thing that I wanted to make sure I, I mentioned, um, when, when, you know, maybe looking for talent, um, I think it can be easy to measure people against this yardstick of like technical skills, right? The wish list, uh, Alex, that you had mentioned. Yeah. But um, I think that you're, you would be doing yourself a disservice as a hiring manager to only go based on technical skills. Um, Personally, I feel like it's it's really important to be open-minded to a candidate's educational background specifically, um, because I think you know again for me when I went to school uh, we didn't have a data de- you know a data degree program, and so I think a lot of people who are in the data space, whether it's data visualization or data analysis or data science or engineering, whatever it is, um, those educational backgrounds can look vastly different, right? Like, I mean, Dustin and I both know, we know English majors who are working in data viz and, um, you know, physicists who are data scientists, you know? And so like, um, I think being a little bit more open-minded to what that skill set really looks like, because I think for me, it's really the soft skills that are almost more critical. Um, I, I look a lot for cre- 
curiosity and creativity yeah. candidates because I mean the amount of resources out there uh, to learn a tool like Tableau, for example, there's there's so many. You know, like you can learn Tableau. Anybody can learn Tableau. That's how you know just great of a product it is. But um, and the community is amazing. But what's hard to teach is how to be curious about your data and how to explore that and 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 find those insights. So um, yeah, I think just being open minded to that as well is really helpful. I think that's a fascinating insight. I think you're you're completely right, kind of about the cultural fit, aspirational, you know, mindset, you know, learning culture. You know, are you creating? You know, are you hiring those type of profiles in? Because you know, I referenced a few weeks ago on a on a post that there's the average tenure for a data scientist is is just under eighteen months. Um, so actually, people are coming in, and maybe the companies aren't moving forward with the technology or the use case or the business problem is no longer there. And I'm guessing once you brought people on board, it's then about giving them the work and the opportunity to progress and develop. So how do kind of organisations or what should they be doing to create that kind of really committed? kind of data workforce where everyone's working on the same objectives and actually in turn, hopefully, you know, increase tenure, reduce churn, what, what, what steps could they take? Or what, what have you seen being successful out there? Yeah, I can, I can give a few examples, uh, Alex. I think um, it, it does start with one simple thing. If you want to have a good program and you want to retain good people and you want to create this ecosystem where those good people recruit other good people, you know, I think it starts with a commitment to, okay, like if you're investing in analytics, like we're, we're going to make sure that, you know, we're investing in the culture as well. And we're doing everything possible to retain and invest in the people that we bring on board, because, you know, to your point earlier, they're not oftentimes going to be inexpensive to bring on board. Um, you know, it's not mm -hmm. going to be simple stuff that they're working on. You know, these are going to be complex tasks done by highly talented individuals. And, and it's probably, if done right, going to make a huge impact, transformative impact on the company. And so, um, why on earth would you would you bring them on and and have a you know half committed or half haphazard approach you know to um, supporting them and and analytics in general? And so, I think it starts with this very simple thing from the top down, and that's a commitment um, um, that you know this is going to be something we're going to invest in, and whatever it takes, you know, that's going to mean a lot of different things probably from a cultural and transformational leadership perspective. But I think some examples of things you can do, what that looks like practically is I think um, from my standpoint, you know, I looked at, I did a poll actually a few weeks ago, uh, put out an informal poll on, on LinkedIn. And I have, you know, a lot of folks in my network are in data analysts to data leadership roles to seeking to get into the field, you know, to business leaders. And so that's kind of the profile of folks that are voting here. But I said, what would you want most in 2023? Totally open-ended, no detail beyond that. The options were master advanced data, <laughs> yeah. master advanced data skills was option one. Get a leadership role was mm -hmm. option two. Do a really impactful project was option three and build your network was option four, okay? And so again, you're asking, which would you want most in 2023? 46% of the vote went to master advanced data skills. Um, and 38% of the vote went to do a really impactful project. 7% um, get a leadership role, 9% build your network. <laughs> so um, when, wow. I, when I look at those two answers, it aligns to kind of the things that I've worked, I've seen work well um, that companies have put out there. So around the master advanced data skills, you know, I think make sure that you have a pool of 
money, you know, and also, but beyond the money, proactively as managers, make sure individuals know that we support your professional development. If you want to take a day, you know, or four hours per week or whatever to learn something new or to, you know, go get ideas at a conference from other analysts or whatever, not only do we allow you to do that, but we encourage you to do that, you know, and by the way, we have some funds for you to do that as well. And some, some paid time to go do that or whatever. So it's, it's the combination of the two. It's having the resources to support it as well as the encouragement from the manager to actively um, do that. Don't leave it up to the person to wonder whether it's okay for them to do these things. And then um, on the do really impactful projects, 30, 38% going to that. I think, you know, you have to create this environment. Adam Grant talks about this concept of psychological safety, you know, and Brandy talked about, you know, hiring creative individuals that are great problem solvers. You know, if you've got those mm -hmm. on your team, you're probably, you know, you don't have a team of people that want to, you know, sit back and always be told what to do, right. And be reactive to everything and just churn out a bunch of reports. You probably will have a group of people that want to dedicate at least a portion of their time to doing creative, impactful work. And so create and foster an environment, again, proactively, 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 I can't say that enough to the leaders and managers listening. You have to be proactive in terms of creating an environment where people, you know, feel safe to bring up their ideas and suggest new things. And um, when you have mm -hmm. talented people that feel safe to do that, um, I mean, you're, you're talking about changing the world type of impact here, you know, change your company, change the world. Um, and so, um, that, those are my, my few examples. You know, yeah, love that. If, if I could chime in one for one other thing, cause Dustin always gets me thinking, um, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I think to your point, so yeah, I mean, we're talking, we're focusing and talking a lot about, you know, the, the data folks themselves. Right. Um, but I think Alex, you kind of, you kind of mentioned, right. I'm sure that you know, if you bring somebody on that they have projects to work on and part of that is maybe creating your own projects or finding opportunity. I think another piece of that is like building up the data culture within your company and that data literacy yeah. so that you you start to get everyone in the organization thinking about the, the next data pro project that could be worked on, right? And then having having obviously the technical people in-house to, to manage them and to take action. But build, I mean, it kind of all, like all of these things have to be, worked on together. Um, so I would just say, add in the data. I like that. I like that. And I also think by removing the, uh, the seed of doubt from people will remove the need for them to look elsewhere, you know, and if people think, well, is this company a, are they truly data driven? Do the, does the C-suite truly understand the value we're giving them? And on your point, right at the beginning, if there's a, the job, we need a data scientist, let's, let's put a job advert out there and there's 25 things we need. And but they, they, when the people join, those are the people typically will join and go, hang on a minute, this isn't what I thought it was. You told me you'd need X, Y, Z, but actually I'm just going to be doing this. But you're right, if people come and then they're proactive and the, there is an appetite for that kind of culture to almost like manifest itself, then it becomes a really powerful place to be. And people, why would they leave? Because effectively they're in that kind of hub together. And that's a great point, Alex. And that's to, for the company side of things, you know, I think that doing these things we're talking about is it's a win-win. It's we talked a lot about the individual, but on the company side, you know, why is it worth doing all this stuff? Because um, for one, you're going to get results that are order of magnitude higher than companies that aren't doing these things. And um, and then the other side of things is 
um, we have a temporary opportunity. I say we, if I'm in the if I'm in the shoes of a company, you would have a you have a temporary opportunity right now to um, create this environment we're talking about. And to your point, individuals, the temporary opportunity is that individuals have very few other places to go to that would do so, that would create cultures like this. You know, so so few companies I think are doing this that if you do it well. Um, you know, the people are never going to want to leave. Yeah. Right. That's completely it. And actually on that point, because it all comes down, obviously the, the aspirational kind of self perpetuating kind of culture is one thing, but equally organizations need to be prepared to invest. And obviously there's, we, we speak to a lot of candidates, a big area of growth for us is analytics engineering. It's, it's boomed in the last 18 months, two years, no, you know, no short the thanks, you know, for Fishtown and DBT, they've made that modeling area more accessible. People are still, they've got the best of both worlds. But if you're a data analyst working in an organization, but you've started to see they're doing some really interesting stuff in the data engineering team. And what advice, because I'm guessing with the stuff you're doing through your own platforms, what steps can these analysts take to make that switch into those more technical roles? Because we get asked that all the time. We get so many applications for analytics engineering vacancies and they're cracking data analysts. But the advice to them is, you know, is it self-learning? Is it going to your current manager and saying, put me on this boot camp? But what, what do you see working well? Um, well, I can I can get started, Justin. We're talking about this a little bit earlier. <laughs> but um, so in my from my perspective, um, I think there are positions within the data space where there is some overlap, right? Um, and I think it's those positions where there's overlap where it's easier to make the switch maybe from, you know, a, a data analyst to an analytics engineer, for example, or maybe even like, um, you know, a, a data scientist to an analytics engineer or, you know, a data scientist mm. to a machine learning engineer. Like there's all sorts of different overlaps um, that exist in the space. And um, I think, I mean, there's multiple things that you can do. You can attack the problem from multiple directions. And I would recommend doing that. I mean, I think Alex, you mentioned like some sort of boot camp, right? There's all sorts of awesome educational opportunities that are out there, you know, online um, trainings, boot camps, whatever. Uh, to to learn that new skill, um, you know, likely once you're in at an organization, um, you know what tools they're using for analytics engineering. You know, you can you can probably pick up that one tool a little bit more easily um, when you know what it is, right? Yeah, um, exactly. I think that that you can have like tool specific training. Um, you know, you can ask your manager to be on projects where you can start to learn some of those skills. Or you can apply those skills. Um, I also think as an organization, it's a really great opportunity to upskill people. Keep the people who have this knowledge of your business, who have knowledge of, you know, have great skills in your organization and give them the opportunity to, to do more, to take on a slightly different role. Um, I think you know, sometimes I, I've seen organizations kind of try to keep people in their little box um, yeah. because they're really good at that job. But then, you know, nobody, I don't want to say nobody, but um, people who are highly motivated don't want to stay in that role forever. They want to be challenged and learn new things. And this is a really great opportunity. Create some sort of, whether it's an, you know, upskilling program or, you know, leverage those boot camps um, and make those opportunities available for people. Yeah, I like that. And I, I think with the 
increase in demand for these, as you say, the engineers, companies that do invest early and kind of offer the opportunity to come in and train and learn and they're going to set themselves ahead of the others anyway. And I think, uh, yeah, it's an interesting space. And I guess on that point, you know, obviously there are a lot of good candidates keeping an you know, eye out for opportunities at the moment. But I think you touched on it earlier, Brandy, about what the organizations can offer. But what should candidates kind of be considering when making those moves? Because I think what we get asked a lot about is obviously what's the tech stack, what's the culture? Great. But actually you touched on it earlier about that kind of the projects, the, you know, the culture, the, there's a whole multitude of things, but on the candidate side, outside of comp, what do you think are the most important factors they should consider? Um, so I see, I see it as kind of two different, two different things here. One is, you know, so the, the first part of the question I think is, you know, what should folks that want to make a transition, be it from one type of role into one of the data you know, roles and analytics, engineering, science, whatever, what, what should they do? And then also what should someone do if they want to go from one, you know, area of, of data, like data analytics to data engineering. And I, I think, you know, my answer would probably be similar in both cases. I mean, I would, I would try to, if within your own company, you know, you can do some projects, um, you can go learn some tools, learn some skills to do some projects, you know, within that, that subfield of, of data that you want to work in, you know, and add value, um, doing that within the scope of your current role, even, and, and in most cases, with just about every role, you can add value by learning some data skills, by learning some new tools, and then applying those within the scope of your current job. I would, I would just try to get some projects under your belt at your current organization. If you're, if you're fortunate enough to have a, mm. a, a job somewhere. Um, and I would just be very proactive about talking about, you have interest in this. Here's some of the things you're doing to try to learn these skills. Here's some things that you see that you would like to do in the company. I wouldn't just leave it up to your manager to decide, you know, what those things are. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, um, what happens is when you, when you talk with your manager and, you know, you, you tell them what your aspirations are, you know, when you tend to leave it to them to decide, you know, what that means, um, you know, that puts a lot of burden usually on someone that has an awful lot going on. And, um, I think it works an awful lot better. If um, you come forward with some ideas of, hey, here's what I would like to do, and here's what I think, you know, getting there would look like, what a path would look like within the context of my role currently and within our company. Gosh, now you're making it a heck of a lot easier for your manager to help advocate for you, carve out some time to learn some skills, maybe even pay for you to learn some of those skills, and then also go out there and talk with some of the folks within other managers at the company, you know, about, hey, this individual is learning some of these things or doing some of these projects on my team you know, just keep them in mind in case you have a, a role open on your team. Um, I think I would, I would try to apply the skills in the current company that I'm in and then transfer into a job, um, you know, that um, was more specific um, to those skills if I could. And then you've got experience, you know, if you, whether you want to stay at your company yeah. or not, you know, if you want to go to an outside role, you've got, you've experience, got yeah. experience and that's a very different place to be in than to be going looking for a job somewhere else and not have any experience. Well, that's it. And I guess it boils down to the point you raised earlier about if everyone's trying to push the organization up from within and, you know, making that next step, pushing from a technical technical standpoint, you know, switching teams, learning other areas. And that's a great problem to have. If you're a company, let's be honest, if you're a company that's fully invested in that business area and problem they're trying to solve, then it's a great problem to have. If you are that company that's 
quite happy where they are it's an absolute nightmare isn't it because people are just going to leave but i guess that's uh it's interesting so a lot for you is kind of about that internal culture that's driving that that learning based culture and having that right from the c-suite people who actually are saying look we want you to come with ideas we want you to switch teams we want you to learn and it creates a better united workforce as, as a result i guess yeah i know exactly. different... oh sorry go ahead Brady. No, I was just going to say the last thing, I mean, Dustin kind of mentioned it, but also that um, like networking, but internally, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. networking doesn't just have to be external to your organization. It's definitely internal. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, take, take, um, take it upon yourself to reach out to people who you think might help you even internally, um, you know, set up those relationships, find out how you can help people, right? Almost, you know, kind of to Dustin's point, create your own projects, right? Um and, and, you know, I think within your organization, if you network and you kind of explain, you know, what your, your goals are, what types of things you want to work on, um, it might not be apparent right away that it pays off, but you've started to plant those seeds in people's minds that, hey, I'm kind of interested in, in maybe pivoting slightly from where I currently am into something else. I'm kind of looking for that new challenge. Um, you never really know where, where that might lead those discussions. So yeah, I agree with Brandy. The I time to start planting those seeds is now. You know, not in not yeah. until you wait until the perfect moment or to tell when you really want it. The time is to start. It's it's now. You know, um, and the other thing I want to add too is Alex. You asked about the salary side of things. You know, and um, compensation and uh, how does that factor into the mix? You know, I think from my perspective. Um, I think the, the question was, what are the things outside of compensation, you know, that folks are thinking about yeah. and what does that mean for the company and the individual? You know, I think we have a, a really fundamental shift taking place right now. Um, I think that folks, and I'm talking my opinion based upon hundreds of conversations that I've had out in the field and with others looking to move up or do a different role or get into the field. I think that what people want is fair compensation um, for the role yeah. that they have outside of fair compensation. You know, I can't say that from all the people that have asked me questions about how to get into the field and move up and stuff. I can't say that making a ton of money ever really comes up. In fact, I, I can't, I can't point to one yeah. example where it does where like, Hey, I want to, I really want to get to the point where I'm making, you know, X amount of dollars. Like, I, I, I just don't hear those questions. I, I don't hear those statements. And so um, from the company side of things, like that's, uh, you know, I think a little bit different, that's a little bit of a paradigm shift, you know, it's traditionally we'll say, well, if we have, you know, someone that's not feeling challenged or not liking what they're doing, you know, what are we gonna do? We give them 40% more, right? <laughs> or if we wanna go after the best candidate, we're gonna give them, twice what the market's paying or whatever. And we just will buy our way out of the problem, right? And I think in, I can only speak for the analytics field, it's where I'm in, you know, but I think in this field, um, I don't know that you're gonna be able to buy your way out of some of these challenges. And so um, yeah. the investment is gonna be in different, it's gonna look a little bit different than it has traditionally. And this is a paradigm shift mm. for companies. And I believe that we're only, in the second or third inning to use a baseball term on this happening. I think we, we've got a long ways to go, but I'm curious what you and Brandy think about that as well. 
It's really valid. I think you've, you've probably hit the nail on the head, really, because I think what you've seen in the market over the last kind of three to six months is exactly that. You know, companies have grown on, you know, on a hope of kind of where the market would be. They've incentivized. I've seen job adverts which have been advertised on LinkedIn, advertising sign-on bonuses. That's their sell, you know, and actually these are multinational corporates who are hiring top-tier machine learning engineers saying, you join us, we will give you $7,000 as a sign-on bonus. That's the wrong you know, message. The message is we will give you this platform, we'll give you this project, we'll give you this problem to solve, and you come and join us on this journey and look where you could get to. So yeah, I think it's, it's a really valid point. And actually as a recruiter, you know, we we generally do want to try and help people, you know, into the right organization. But if an organization is saying to us, you know, what's it going to take to secure them? well great but you know what's it going to take to lose them because you know he may be paying them x and their 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 com current company may buy them back so a lot of candidates we deal with the first question is tech stack culture business some you know will, will re remain unnamed but you know what are they paying it's like wow okay i've not even told you about the job yet so yeah it's an interesting person i think you're right we are going to see that kind of ebb and flow and i think we will see a stability of kind of normality where it goes to comps. Yes, there'll be those outliers. There'll be companies that will pay well over the market rate. But look at the people in the big fangs now who are leaving and thinking, how am I going to get back to that comp and equity level that I was being paid? So yeah, it's an interesting space. I don't know if you feel the same, Brandy, but I kind of from from my side as a recruiter seen seen that changed huge amount. Yeah. I, I mean I definitely think so. I think Dustin hit the nail on the head. Um I you know, it's not to say that comp isn't important because it, no, no, you know, and I think we're, we're sitting here saying, you know, it's really the work that's really, I mean, it, it is the work <laughs> that's fulfilling, um, but we're able to focus on, you know, pursuing fulfilling work because um, the compensation in this, you know, space is um, quite nice, right? Um, mm. So it's not that the comp's not important, but I think by being paid relatively well, we have the the you know privilege really to consider other things like are we fulfilled by the day-to-day -day job? You know, am I using tools that are exciting? Am I challenged in new ways? And I think those are kind of the the soft skills, if you will, that a company kind of can can bring to the table besides just just those yeah. hard dollars. Um, and so yeah, like I think it just is really important. You need to build that culture, you need to build that. Um, that upskilling, you need to have coaching and mentoring for all the people, um, you know, within the data, the data organization um, at your your company. I think all of those things are really important. Um, yeah, agree. I do agree, and I think it's uh, obviously people. You're obviously tackling the career data careers from kind of entry level, but also people who are experienced, but maybe in different domains. And obviously, we get a lot of applications, conversations with people saying. How do I get into it? On your point earlier, Brownie, how do I break into data? You know, what, what is it I need to do? A lot of the pushback we get from companies is they've fallen down technically, um, you know, and actually, you know, we are trying to find a platform or a resource that enables candidates to showcase their technical skills, but in but in an environment where, you know, they can, it's kind of can be received quite well by the organization. So instead of people putting, you know, on GitHub and their own coding up there. What platforms or resources can candidates use to kind of 
really upskill themselves and put themselves into the best position to break into data right at entry level i'm talking post-grad potentially yeah so i can i can get things started and then dustin you know feel free to chime in but um you know i think so so approaching it from a slightly different perspective but i'll get to the the answer of the question but you know i think yeah. when when first kind of looking for that first job right you you like i think it's easy when you're in the data space to know what roles are out there, what job titles you're really searching for, what uh, you know jobs might fit your skill set or your interests. It's kind of easy once you, you've got the foot in the door. But getting the foot in the door, you know, being realistic, I think about what those first jobs are going to be. So anything with the word analyst in it is is a good kind of initial job, I think. Whether it's a sales analyst, marketing analyst, or business analyst is something we hear a lot as well. But also a data analyst, right? So any anything like that, I think, is a really good initial, you know, you know, if you're doing a keyword search on jobs, that's a really good place to start. But then I think to kind of, you know, maybe build up some of that experience, build up those skills, uh, being able to showcase um, your abilities, um, you know, that isn't coding, right? Uh, I think, yeah. you know, I'm a big fan of Tableau. Anybody who goes out to my LinkedIn is going to see Tableau stuff all over the place. Yeah. Uh, but Tableau has a product called Tableau Public which is free. Um, you, you download the application to your computer. You can connect to um, the, the free version. You really only can connect to like Excel files or CSV files, something like that. But then you can build, um, you know, charts and graphs and analyze that data using Tableau Public for free and then publish your creation out to the Tableau Public Gallery. And, you know, I think that's a great way for people who especially are non-technical because um, Tableau doesn't require coding. It's all drag and drop. So you can do that um, and, and kind of build up your portfolio that way. Um, another really great resource is the Storytelling with Data website. They also offer, I want to say like, are they, like monthly challenges, I think they offer. And it's tool agnostic. So it doesn't have to be Tableau. You can do it just in Excel. You know what I mean? Like building um, and being really thoughtful about how to build. Um, and create a graphic in order to communicate the results, because that's a, a big gap I think we've we've been seeing too in that uh, data space is mm -hmm. you can have the best analyst or the best data scientist doing the most complex analysis, but unless they can communicate the results of that analysis to decision makers or people in the business, it really doesn't matter. And so focusing on that ability to communicate the results is also really great. Storytelling with data um, is a great kind of platform to kind of both teach those skills and they give you these challenges that I think help guide you um, to building up that portfolio. Yeah, I agree with, awesome. with Brandy. I think the data challenges are um, a unique opportunity right now. Um, they've gained a lot of traction, and I think for good reason. In the last couple of years, there are several that are tool agnostic, so you can use, you know, you can kind of bring your own tool to those. You can um, use Tableau, Power BI, but you can also <coughs> use others. And um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I agree with everything Brandy said. I think I would just, I would keep it simple in terms of if, you, if you're coming in and you haven't, you don't have any of the hard skills in data analytics, I would take a look at, you know, take a look at the, the some of the data we've posted out to the Data Career Summit page and, and to Brandy's nice profile from the data we presented at the last summit. We'll be updating more data for the next um, summit coming up in February, but um, there we show some of the skills trends and what skills are being asked for most frequently in job postings. You know, there, it's definitely pretty 
top heavy, even though there's a long tail in terms of the number of skills that are being looked for, you know, SQL, yeah. data visualization, Excel, you know, some basic stats, things like that. I mean, these are really um, the ones at the top to take a look at what those top ones are, get some fundamental um, expertise around that, and then enter into a data challenge, apply them, you know, or it doesn't have to be data challenge, could be something else maybe. But um, I like the data challenge idea because what it does is it's, even though it may not be a real world, you know, um, business case or whatever that you're working on, but what it, if it's not, it, it still gives you what's what's real world about it is that it gives you feedback from a, a variety of, of individuals. And, and that's when you're an analyst in an organization, you're gonna be getting feedback all the time on the work that you're doing. And um, yeah. that's you yeah. might be surprised by some of the things you learn and some of the feedback you get from folks. And I think that's gonna make you a lot better. Um, and then the other thing I like about doing that is you can then say, when you go into an interview, whether it's a formal interview or an informational interview, and I would encourage individuals to try to meet with as many folks as possible in the field, um, you know, or hiring managers in the field outside of the formal interview process, but whether it's in an informational interview or a formal interview setting, you can say, I did this project for this challenge, you know, here's what I did, but then also here's what that might look like in terms of how I would apply those skills at this company tackling a challenge here, you know? And um, I think you do all these things, you learn the basic skills, you enter challenges or some things that might stretch you a little bit in terms of what you're comfortable with. And then you work like heck to meet with people at companies that you're yeah. applying to or that are in the field, you know, and you share some of this stuff that you're doing and then you tie it to what their company does and how you can impact it there, guarantee you, that not everybody is gonna do that. And so, you know, you're already gonna be in the top tier um, in terms of folks that are yeah. going after these these jobs. So that would, you know, just be my two cents. No, I like it. And I also think I've, I've enjoyed the fact both of you are talking more about the person, you know, here at, at no point has it been the education they've got and, you know, showcasing that is actually the personality, the proactiveness, both either internally, have you got the real minerals to, ask for that opportunity have you got that real opportunity as a mindset to at a meetup you know go and speak to someone and say look i'm i'm alex you know i'm fascinated by the space tell me how you got into it you know what do i need to do so that is interesting actually as a recruiter we we unfortunately very rarely can help those kind of at the the more entry level because organizations just don't need our help but i think companies need to uh change their onboarding and also make their organization more open to these conversations totally. because you know, uh, uh, someone at an earlier stage in their career now, they might have a fantastic experience with your talent team or even one of your analytics managers in a couple of years. Think they were good guys. You know, they really took some time to talk to me, but I don't think organizations are as invested in the long term as they should be. And that's, it's very much about vacancy now, let's fill it rather than actually, where's my pipelining for two years down the line? And that'll be interesting to see how this changes over the next kind of year or so with the market as it is. I agree, Alex. I mean, I think uh, both on the company side and the individual side, the key, well, one of the keys mm. is, is that we're missing in, a, in many cases is proactive, you know, um, yeah. from the company side, be proactive about building that culture and making the investment and really committing to what you're doing. And then on the individual side, be proactive in terms of doing everything possible, um, you know, to get your foot in the door to Brandy's point. Um, and once you do, then be proactive again in terms of finding opportunities, you know, um, making, uh, you know, uh, making sure that your work is getting attention um, because it's awfully hard for that work to make an impact if it's not getting attention. So 
proactive, proactive, proactive. You know, that's, I think it's lost a little bit in all of the news and buzzwords and technical skills and stuff. Yeah. Proactive is the thing that I would leave with kind of my closing remarks here. I think it's summed up well. Brandy, would you kind of agree? I think that's kind of the, uh, probably it seems like a very good place to leave it there, but it's, uh, Brandy, would you kind of echo those sentiments? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think being proactive is really important. You know, I think the, I think I would just add networking is also just really critical, right? You, the, yep. Planting those seeds, you never know where they might, you know, when they might sprout, it might, you might talk with somebody now and it could pay off five years down the road or you could, you know, or they could introduce you to somebody next week that could land you your next job. So being proactive with networking as well, both internally and externally. And that goes for both, you know, people who are looking to break into the space, but also hiring managers who, um, you know, might be looking for talent down the road, right? You need to be building those relationships now. So, um, so I would also just add that networking little aspect to it as well. Proactive networking. That yeah. is the, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's, that's perfect. And when I look guys, it's been my absolute pleasure to, uh, to have you on, on on the podcast and actually i think there's been some really interesting takeaways for people um and it's been refreshing to talk more about the person here than the uh you know the actual personality behind these people rather than just a commodity so no thanks so so much it's been uh, been my pleasure yeah thank you so much for having us this was no likewise thanks brandy thanks dustin yeah no i appreciate you facilitating these conversations um and uh absolutely love this stuff and uh uh just Thanks to you for inviting us. It's an honor to be on the second uh, episode. Yeah, thanks again, likewise. And thanks again, and uh, speak to you soon, no doubt. Thank you.